This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible, Revelation chapter 3. Um, really been enjoying going through the seven churches. Good reminder of some things, I think, for everybody. All the time. Let's, let's dive right in. And we'll pray first. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can come together tonight in your name. We can worship you. We can adore you. You're good, Lord. Bless us as we are in your word tonight. And um, speak to us. Give us ears to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, hey, Christina, do you guys have one song at the end? If you got to take off, you can totally take off. I meant to tell you before I came up here, so sorry if it's awkward. But if you need to take off, you can totally take off, and we'll nix the last song. Okay. And then wait till nobody's, wait till everybody's turned around not looking at you anymore before you slip. (laughs) Hey, it's better to say something, right? It gives you some time. Revelation chapter 3, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The church in Sardis, Sardis was inland, it was built on the top of a, 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 it was like a citadel on a rock, very difficult to get to, very, very um, prosperous city. It's the words you, that's used is a very decadent city that people had given themselves over. And, and what had happened was, historically speaking, we'll look at the history of Sardis, but historically speaking, um, the, the things that Jesus is addressing to the church in Sardis, the things that he's addressing, they have had history with as a city. And this goes to show a little bit of what we talked about this morning of how culture influences the church. And different churches around the world, they look differently and they're all affected by the cultures that they live in. We need to be very careful as believers. We need to be very careful as followers of Jesus Christ that we we guard against the infiltration of the world's mentality into this arena. It's very important because the more the church starts to look like the world, the less it is a salt and a light that brings the difference. Amen. We need to be careful. And this is, this is, the, this is the, the, the thing that Jesus says. He says, I'm writing to you guys these things. Says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. What is the spirit of God or the seven spirits of God? What's the number seven mean in the Bible? 
completeness. So, so what he's saying is, he's saying the completeness of the authority of the Spirit of God. This is, this is who's talking to you. He who has the completion of the Spirit of God, who's given you instruction, pay attention. What were the seven stars indicative of in the first chapter? The seven stars were, does anybody remember? The seven churches. So he says, I have all the authority in the spirit. I have the completeness of the spirit. I also have the completeness of the church. And people have differing opinions. I'm sure multiple opinions could be correct. But I believe one of the things that Jesus is saying is he's, he's saying, I am divine in the sense that I am the son of God and I have the completeness of the spirit of God. Yeah, I can identify with the church because I was a human. And you guys are humans. And you're going to mess up and you're going to make mistakes. I get it, but I have both. So what I have to say to you is going to be very beneficial for your future. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. What a powerful word from Jesus Christ to say, you have a reputation to be alive. But the, the truth is, the reality is, that you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. You know, one of the things that I often bring up to cults or to sects of Christianity that focus more on their work than on their faith Anything that's works-based salvation. I told the story about the Jehovah's Witness I talked to you last weekend, last Sunday. And I said to her multiple times, I said, listen, you have submitted yourself under a works-based religion. And she said, you keep saying that. What does that mean? I said, this is what it means. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. One sacrifice, once and for all, the book of Hebrews tells us. Now, when you take Jesus Christ who laid down his life for you, and then you say, and, or you add anything to that that's necessary for your salvation, you are a works-based religion. You can add anything. You can say, you believe in Jesus, but have to eat popcorn every Tuesday night. I'm joking. You know, there's some people believe they have to have fish every Friday night. And however often they observe these little things gives them better standing with God and the last time they stay in places that are hot. So anything that you add to the cross of Jesus Christ is works-based. This church thought that what they did, their works was going to be enough for them. And they started to, many commentators would, would say and agree that they started to, to look more and more like the wor world. Verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. This is a key word for us in verse 2. See, watchful. You can circle that if you're taking notes. And then in verse 3, he says, therefore, if you will not watch. So this is, this is, this is something that's important for this church to understand. The key word is watch, to be watchful. And what he was speaking to with them was their position in this city. It was thought to be an impenetrable fortress. 
The way that you could get up to the city was very difficult. They had the, the regular access, and then the other access, you, it was surrounded by cliffs, and it was very difficult to get up to the city. And what happened was two times in history in the past, before this time, two times this city was overtaken because the city was reachable by scaling these cliffs. But guess what the problem was? Nobody was on watch. They got so prideful in their lofty position that they weren't watching anymore. And the both times that the city was captured and overthrown, it was at nighttime under cover of darkness when the enemy came in and nobody was watching, nobody was paying attention, and they got overthrown and conquered. And now we see the connection with the culture. The Christians in Sardis had started to adapt a kind of mentality that the other sardines, can we say that? <laughs> the other sardines had also given themselves over to of this, this worldly comfort of untouchable, not being able to, or not, not be, having to be diligent to, to watch things. I shared this story with Wednesday night a while ago, but it was the beginning of the year. It was the end of last year. The end of last year, I woke up one morning and... I was getting ready to go. It's really early. One of my dogs somehow, and this never happens, one of our dogs got out. I can't even remember how. They're in the front yard. And I hear somebody, oh, my neighbor called me. My neighbor says, hey, your dog's out here. I'm like, okay, I'll come right out. So I'm going out the front door, and I open the door, and I'm going to walk out, and there's a, there's a dove, there's a turtle dove on my doormat mat, dismantled. And I had, and I, you know, Grace will tell you, I really like these doves, these, these turtle doves, because I like, I have this weird thing, don't laugh at me, because it, you know, it'll make me feel bad, but I have this weird things, whenever I see these doves around on our property, because they come down, you know, and, and the cats try to scare them away, or the dogs barking at them, I'm like, shut up, you guys, I like the doves, because it's like, signifies the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, yeah, the Holy Spirit's hanging out at my house today when he's always hanging out at my house. But you know, it's the dove thing. It's like, it's cute. They're really cool birds. And I'm like, yes, the Holy Spirit's here. And I always joke around about that. So I'm walking out the door and the Holy Spirit's dead on my doorstep. And I'm like, you dirty cat. You killed the Holy Spirit on my property and dismantled it. So I jump around the bird. I'm kind of bummed. Walk over, you silly dog, let's go. So I get the dog and I go back inside and, and I'm going to take the dog in the backyard. And I never go in the backyard, never go in the backyard in the morning. There's no reason to. So I take the dog out, go in the backyard to see where it got out so I can make sure it doesn't get out again because I got to leave. I'm going to be gone all day. I was the only one home at that time. So take the dog back in the backyard, go to find where, where he got out, and I'm walking by the pool, and as I walk by the pool, I glance and I look, and there's this gigantic rat, probably like, he's probably like that long. Like, it's a, one of the biggest rats that I've seen in Vegas, and he's dead in the bottom of our swimming pool. And I'm like, this is bizarre. I've got the Holy Spirit in the front yard. I've got the devil in the backyard. And I, nobody likes rats, you know. And, and, and I started thinking about what happened. We've never had a dead rat in our pool before. We've been living in that house for uh, over four years now. And to have a 
and we've, I don't remember ever having a dead dove in the front either that I can think of. So I got, a, I got a dead dove in the front, a dead rat in the back, and I'm like, okay, wait a second. Something's going on. All right, Lord, what do you, what do you want? You know, the Lord, sometimes he uses these little, these little things. I don't want to be all mystical or anything like that, but sometimes the Lord does things. He illustrates things in my life to get my attention. So I'm like, you got my attention. What's going on? And I started thinking about it, and he says, how, you know, how did the kind of going over, how did the rat die? Well, the rat, we have these gorgeous, huge canary palms in our backyard, that three huge ones that cover, almost completely cover our pool in shade, and they're beautiful. And what happened was the rat was going somewhere that he shouldn't have been going, and he, he tempted fate trying to cross one of those palm fronds onto a different tree, and he missed and he fell, and it cost him his life. The bird didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but what was the bird not doing? The bird wasn't watching. And the Lord said, listen, Tim, the enemy roams to and fro seeking whom you, uh, who, for you, <laughs> seeking whom he can devour. Make sure you're paying attention. Don't toe the line. Don't mess with stuff that you're not supposed to be messing with. You have got your focus for you. This is what you're supposed to be doing this season. And don't, don't not pay attention to the point where you get yourself in trouble. And I'm like, God, you're faithful. Thank you for Give me that little warning. Right after that, I went into one of the most more difficult seasons that I have been in since we came over here to plant the church four years ago. And I could always reference back and, and, and remember. And that's not all, okay? So I'm like, okay, don't be a dumb rat and do things that could kill you. And don't be a dove that is hanging out at the Warholics house and get eaten by a cat. Got it. So I come to the church, sit down at my desk, start to do my, my devotional. I didn't do it at the house that morning. I was going to do it here when I got here. So I got here. I sit down, pull my journal out, pull my Bible out, and um, start to write. Write this whole thing about, you know, I write about the dove and the rat and talking to the Lord in, in the journal, like, Okay, what could I have been doing that wasn't well or that could lead me in, in, in a bad direction? And, you know, and how am I not watching? How can I watch better? So I finish writing and I open my Bible to where I am not only um, doing my devotional. Yeah, it was, a, it was a devotional. I open my Bible to Psalm 74 and I'm reading Psalm 74. And then I ran across a verse that I had never even seen before. I've read through the whole Bible multiple times, and I never recall reading this verse. Same morning, and going through, verse 19, oh, do not deliver the life of your turtle dove to the wild beast. <laughs> the same morning. And I'm like, all right, this is my prayer now, Lord, <laughs> because if this is symbolic and you're trying to warn me about something, I need to watch. The emphasis was on watching. Okay, I'll watch, but I need to make sure that that, you know, I'm in the place that I'm, that I'm supposed to be and I'm not messing around and doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. Listen, God wants to speak into our lives. He wants to lead us in righteousness. He wants to teach us. He's not just going to let us flounder and die. I love, I love Janice, your, your honesty in saying that you were upset and, and you weren't content to just let go. You continued to fight, but you cried out to God. 
When you cry out to the Lord with all your heart and you say, Lord, I'm not, giving, I'm not testing you. I'm not giving you an ultimatum. I'm just telling you, like, if you don't do something and help me right now, I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to die. I need you so bad. And God is so faithful. He is so faithful to answer you. You know what God is also faithful to do? God is also faithful to warn you before you, you um, have to deal with the full implications of bad decisions that you've made. That's what he's doing for them. It's like, you guys got a reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. You're dead. And what does that mean? When something's dead, it's not really useful for anything anymore, is it? It's, it's dead. So that was, a, that was a, a, not only a wake-up call for me in the moment, but more than I realized it, it was a warning for the future. It was a warning for how I can be better prepared, how I can be better uh, equipped to be watchful in the season that I was going to be in. And then that season ran its course, and it was a pain, but it ran its course, and it was over. And then when that season was over, I was really struggling toward the end of it. And the Lord was faithful to say, you know what, Tim? This season's coming to an end. And and why does he, he... prompt me or lead me in this way. Sometimes it's a, it's a feeling. Sometimes it's a, it's a word, like I read to you in Psalm 74, in different ways. It's, it's my, my passion to be as closely connected to the Lord as possible because I need to be led. Otherwise, I'm going to get myself in some big trouble. So he's like, your season's coming to an end. It's almost over. And the next season after it is going to be really good. That's what I remember one day in my devotions, him, him saying to me, he said, the next season you're going to be in is going to be really good. This one was really bad. The next one's going to be really good. And, and I was sharing a little bit this morning. We're in a really good season right now, just our family and the church. And I'm just really blessed that God is faithful and he wants us to engage him. There's not a disconnect, Okay. There's not a disconnect where you just go to church and you listen to a Bible study and you shake a few hands and you smile at a couple people. There's there's a true connection that he wants you to have with him, with the body, so that there's progression, a maturing, and a growing spiritually. Death. Is it possible that somebody could be dead on the inside and acting like everything is fine on the outside? I would tell you, one of the saddest things that I have to deal with as a pastor is to have people book a counseling session or a discipleship session and come together and, and they, they would seem like to everybody else like they are just hunky-dory and everything's fine and then watch them fall to pieces in front of me and say that they don't want to go on with life anymore. It's very difficult. In fact, I just got a phone call last week. You don't know this, brother? So don't worry about it. It's an illustrative purpose in the scripture. So that's what the the intention is. You don't know him. You can't figure it out. But he has a very strong presence on social media. Very strong presence. And he's always posting about how he's, you know, he's overcome addictions. And he he, um, has a very strong faith in God and Jesus. And very present. Everything that he posts regularly is about how good he's doing and how great and how amazing and how amazing God is and pictures of these amazing things and pictures of his job and all this crazy stuff. And then I get a 
get a call from him this week, and he says, you know, after I just seen him, I, I mean, I literally just seen him post something like the day before. He said, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm ready to take my own life. I'm throwing in the towel. I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, listen, man, don't. No, it's not that time. You don't give up. You got to keep going. You got to keep moving. So we got to talk a little bit, and we're trying to schedule an appointment to get together. And um, everything is not only great, but over the moon when it comes to what everybody else sees in his life. Inside, he's completely destroyed. He's completely done. We, we cannot be comfortable or okay with being in that kind of position and not reaching out to somebody sooner. Listen, you've got brothers and sisters around you that want to love you and help you. I don't know if anybody here is struggling with that. You know, I'd talk to you. I'd get together with you anytime any time to, to go through the promises of God and remember his goodness to us. It's not a good place to be to have to warn yourself or pull yourself back off the ledge. It, it, it should never even get to that point. And if it does get to that point, I would submit that it might be because there wasn't a watchfulness that was happening. There was a dealing. I can handle this. I can do it. There wasn't an, a, a dialogue of honesty, that's for sure. But now you're at the end and it's, you feel like it's too late. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. One commentator said about this that um, it's interesting that all the other churches that were addressed so far all had issues that they dealt with where it was the enemy that was coming against them. But for the case at Sardis, it was an absence of the enemy. It wasn't an actual threat, like a physical threat, persecution by non-believers, persecution by the Roman government, whatever the case may be. They were getting too comfortable. That was the problem. And there was no enemy. I once heard this sermon illustration years and years and years ago, and the reason it stuck with me for so long over all these years is because I really like fish. I don't know if you noticed, but I have a fish tank in my office. I named them and talked to them, and I am not crazy. <laughs> and whenever I hear a story about fish, I'm like, oh, I think fish, fish are cool. You know, I like fish. So this, this pastor is telling a story about how this company shipping these fish across country or something like that. I don't remember the details. It was a long time ago. He's shipping these fish, and by the time they leave the, where they are harvested, by the time they get to where they're going, they're all dead. Has anybody heard this story before? So in the transportation process, because it's so, because it's so long and the fish are not moving around, there's a lack of oxygen or what, what, whatever the case, and, and they die. They don't make it. And they're trying to figure out how are they going to be able to get these fish that they make good money shipping, how are they going to get them there? And they try all these different things and nothing works. They all keep dying. Then one guy gets this idea. He says, I got an idea. Let's put this fish's natural born enemy in the tank with it and see if that, well, they're going to eat all the fish. It's their enemy. They put the fish in, they drive across, they get there, all the fish are still alive. None of them are eaten and none of them have died. Why? They're moving around the whole time. They're, they're watching 
They're watching the enemy and they're placing themselves in a position that they're not going to be eaten. And because of their alertness and, or awareness, they make it to the other side and then they die because people eat them. <laughs> but <laughs> the point is, you know, there was an absence of the enemy in Sardis. The sardines weren't being stirred up. And because they weren't being stirred up, they fell into complacency. And in that complacency, they gave over to the, the culture of the city. And Jesus is speaking something to them. He's saying, this happened before. They weren't watching in this city and they were overcome. They weren't watching in this city and they're overcome. Church, you guys aren't watching and you're already almost dead. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Oh, I skipped that. No, that's right. That's right. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. They had gone away from what they had received and heard. And in going away from what they had received and heard, there was a lack of repentance. There was a lack of holding fast and they were in danger of destruction. Speaking a little more about the two times that the city was overtaken, a Greek historian, Herodotus, tells the story of the fall of Sardis in the days of Cyprus. King Cyprus came to Sardis and found the position of the city ideally suited for defense. There seemed to be no way to scale the steep cliff walls surrounding the city. He offered a rich reward to any soldier in his army who could figure out a way to get up to the city. One soldier studied the problem carefully, and as he looked, he saw a soldier defending Sardis drop his helmet down the cliff walls. So you guys get the picture? They're down below. They want to get up to the city, but it's too well defended. So the, the king says, um, hey, if one, whoever can figure out how we're going to take these guys, you're going to get a big time you're going to get some big-time booty, big-time re reward. So this one soldier studying, he sees this, this soldier that drops his helmet. He watched as the soldier climbed down a hidden trail to, to recover his helmet. He marked a location on the trail and led a detachment of troops up it that night. They easily climbed the cliffs, came to the actual city walls, found them unguarded. The soldiers of Sardis were so confident in the natural defenses of their city, they felt no need to keep a diligent watch. So the city was easily conquered. Curiously, the same thing happened almost 200 years later when Antiochus attacked and conquered the overconfident city that didn't set a watch. How tragic is that? Although the situation of the city was ideal for defense, as it stood high above the valley of Hermas and was surrounded by deep cliffs almost impossible to scale, Sardis had twice before fallen because of overconfidence and failure to watch. In 149 BC, the Persian king Cyprus had ended the rule of Croesus by scaling the cliffs under the darkness. In 214, the armies of Antiochus the Great III captured the city by the same method. Winston Churchill said to Britain in the early days of World War II, I must drop one word of caution, for next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. As much as we don't want to talk about it sometimes, Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord's army, 
We are at war. We have an enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, to devour. And if we are not diligently setting a watch in our life, complacency can creep in. And what starts as one part of the body dying can spread like gangrene to the rest and kill off the rest of the body. That's the picture that we get. It's a warning that we can receive and say, not I, be watchful, investigate, look at the things in your life that need to be addressed and address it. One other story there was a guy um, who helped found and start Youth for Christ named Charles Templeton. Is anybody familiar with Charles Templeton? Charles Templeton started Youth for Christ, and in the beginning, he was a dynamic person. He was part of crusades. He was closely connected to Billy Graham. The focus was a youth-oriented outreach kind of thing. He built the organization up, and then at some point or another, he denounced Jesus Christ. He denounced Christianity. He went away and, and claimed that he was an atheist and, and uh, that he never had any kind of faith. So this is going to beg a question, what we're going to look at next. Uh, I bring that up to say this. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white for that they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. You know, the question, the, the uncomfortable question is, what is this blotting out of the name? You know, some people would say Charles Templeton was never a Christian in the first place, that he was masquerading as in, in, in a beneficial situation, and he was never even a Christian in the first place. Well, we don't really know. What we do know is the Bible five times at least references this book of life. We know that God writes everything down, which is kind of scary. He collects our tears in a bottle. He knows the number of hairs on our head less today than yesterday. And he keeps up with it too. He, he knows each day the number of hairs on our head. He's a detailed God. He loves us. But what does this mean? Some people want to argue it means some kind of loss of salvation. Again, we understand that the Bible teaches us that we don't know. Like, we don't know if somebody was saved or, or loses salvation. If I can be real with you guys, I don't, I'm not trying, like, I'm just, these services, I'm a little bit more authentic with you. Because, uh, and this is why, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I have liberty to say things that if I said in a main service, it could cause brothers or sisters to stumble. And I don't want to cause brothers or sisters to stumble. If you're here on a, on a Wednesday or a Sunday night, you're hungry for the Lord and you want to draw, you know, you want to draw into him. So you, you're probably a little more spiritually mature where you can, you can handle it. But um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say because I had to say that other thing. The, the what? Oh, yeah, the book of life. So um, the question is, are, are you going to lose your salvation? I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a loss of salvation issue. But, but what I would say is that um, everybody could be already in the book of life. And it's not a taking out of as much as they were already there. And the taking out is the final judgment. You are born once and die twice, or you're born twice and you die once. So I haven't really fully developed this or worked it out yet, but 
at what point can anybody say that they're saved? And I remember what, what I was going to say to you that I had to preface that with now. It took me a second. See, I told you I'm real honest with you guys. <laughs> I really, and, and maybe my position will change. I don't know. I have changed over the years, and I have matured and grown up in the Lord more over the years. It just really bothers me when we start throwing out numbers for altar calls. It really just bugs me, you know. It's like, oh, we had an altar call. 20 people got saved. And I was just at an event, you know. Uh, we had a huge event at UNLV, and we were walking out, and, and one of the people was like, oh man, there wasn't very many people there at first, and I'll be honest, I was really frustrated, and then somebody else said, no, you stop it right now. You saw six people got saved tonight, and I'm just like, knock it. I couldn't hold it in. You know? I'm like, knock it. You know, if you think that nothing happened tonight, then there's something wrong with you. A lot of people did end up coming. A lot of people were encouraged. People were, were, were uh, challenged in their faith. They're going to grow. And you don't know how many people got saved tonight. It's not how it works. Like you get to pick. Oh, in our crusade, we 500,000 people. Got, yeah, right. You know how many people really got saved? No, you don't. You don't know because only God knows the heart and he's the only one that judges the heart. So let's rightfully represent him in saying, hey, your life should display your faith in Jesus Christ, not a hand in the air and you never see him again. It's just the way that I feel, okay? (laughs) So we don't know about Charles Templeton. We don't know where he was spiritually, but we know in the end that his name was blotted out of the book of life. Why? You can't put yourself in direct opposition. And you can say, what if he repented on his death? Maybe he did. And we're back to square one. We don't know. God alone is the righteous judge, right? One of the things that is made so sad, I remember when I stumbled across this piece of information, it bothered me for weeks. So have anybody heard of Lonnie Frisbee before? So Lonnie Frisbee was a hippie in the Jesus movement that was one of the, 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 the primary preachers at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, bringing all of these kids and all these people were getting saved. And you never hear about Lonnie Frisbee. Do you know why? Because Lonnie Frisbee ended up leaving his wife, having a homosexual relationship uh, affair and relationships and died of AIDS. Isn't that terrible? That's absolutely terrible. But why wouldn't we talk about stuff like that? Because we want to be sensitive, because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, because, you know, I don't, I don't know. But for me, I want to talk about it. You know why? Because you got to watch. You got to watch. People are dying. Things are dying. This is serious. We've got to have each other's backs. And if everybody's in the castle sleeping up on the top of the mountain and the enemy is not going to give up, the enemy wasn't attacking them. And it was the the thing that, that they shouldn't have been doing the most, getting comfortable and giving into the culture of the city That ultimately was their demise. Verse 4, you have a few names. I need to back up for a second. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. 
and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. This whole uh, robing or clothing in righteousness is very common in the Bible. The robes are typically white. The souls underneath the altar of God that are martyred, they say, when, when, in a couple chapters, when are you going to avenge us? And they're given robes and said, you're going to wait a little bit longer. You just flip three pages left in your Bible in the epistle to Jude. It's one of my favorite verses in Jude, and there's only 25, so I had to pick carefully. He said, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until etern- unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So this biblical language of garments that are soiled, garments that are defiled, robes of white are, is very common. And the robes of white speak of the intimacy and relationship that we get to have with Jesus Christ. And I think it's just going to be cool when you get to heaven and Jesus gives you your first you know, heavenly outfit, right? I don't know if that's just me because I don't like picking out my own clothes. But if you want some fun facts about Tim and you can make fun of me when you go home tonight, that's fine. Grace is the one that picks my clothes out. I'm like, I don't know what to wear, babe. Could you just pick, just throw something on the bed for me? I know that sounds ridiculous, but I just don't care. I just don't care. So if you ever think I look nice, thank Grace in the morning. Be like, hey, Tim looks pretty good today. Good job. So Jesus is going to give you your first outfit when you get to heaven. Is that we clear on that? few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garden. And isn't that sad? A few names of many people, a few names who have not defiled their garments, who have not given them, themselves over to the culture of the city, the culture of that day. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. You know, since I've already gone there, and maybe I've offended a few of you, I apologize, but how do we identify today in the church? Whether it's dead or dying or what parts are dying, um, I think that we need to see what people's focus is. And I'm all for political voting agendas and all that kind of thing, but like if somebody is more passionate about a party member than about the kingdom of God and their citizenship in that kingdom, I start to wonder if they've started to kind of go the way of Sardis. Now, I know that that's a pretty strong statement. That's a pretty strong statement. And Jesus does say, hey, listen, render to Caesar what Caesar's like we talked about this morning. Render to God what's God's, and we should do that. But if we start to wrap ourselves up in the politics and the things of this world, it's going to bog us down to the point where it's going to be hard to to keep notice. And I'm not saying that, that there are, I'm not saying that, that there are dead people because they're very political. I, I told a story this morning about somebody that I know and love and who ran for office and was elected. And I'm, so I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it, but what I am saying is what is the heart and what is the focus? And why is, is there such motivation to go in a direction? I was talking to a pastor last week I meet with various pastors around town kind of just to get their pulse and see how things are going, encourage them. I like to encourage pastors. And, and I was meeting with this one guy, and he was talking about how his church had just gone through um, 
a thinning, if you will. And he said that there is, it was, it's been happening, but, but recently something came up where it came out who they voted for. And it got brought up, I guess, in a church setting that this person was a Democrat and he kicked him out of the church. <laughs> and I'm just like, man. And I felt like, no, the person that he kicked out was a Democrat. Somebody in his church was a Democrat. I think there was a couple of them, and he kicked them out. And I'm just like, man, you know, like, I want to be gentle and gracious, but I feel like I have to say something. And I was like, listen, you, you got you to gotta ease up on the authoritarianism, authoritarianism in, in your church. You know why? Yeah. So... <laughs> So I said, listen, Jesus even said to us, Jesus said in the church, there's going to be sheep, there's going to be goats. And you let the sheep and the goats, you, you let them stay there. And then, and then God is the one that, that removes. God is the one that separates a judgment and makes those divine judgments that we shouldn't have any business in making because of people's political affiliation. No business. I have no business making those assessments or judgments. The next thing, you looked at my notes, Chris. <laughs> hey, by the way, I really enjoy the interaction with you guys. I, I've always liked it. We've, it's always been a struggle in the past to get people to interact. So by, by all means, if you want to shout something out, as long as it's not something about my outfit, you can <laughs> shout it out. I don't mind. Yeah, she does. And I give her a good budget. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you and the kids get 20 bucks. I get 40, okay? Make sure we look good. <laughs> um, the wheat and the tares. Jesus said, hey, listen, there's a guy. He's a farmer. And night fell and the enemy ran in. And he sowed tares in with the wheat. And, and the servants come in. And master, the enemy came and he sowed in tares with the wheat. What should we do? And he said, let the wheat and the tares grow together. And in the final day, the harvest will be made and the wheat separate and put in my storehouses and the tares, you throw it in the fire and burn it. We don't know. I'm not making those judgments. You know, there's people in our church, none of you guys so far, okay? There's people in, 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 in our church that I look in their eyes and I wonder, like, are you, do you seriously house the Holy Spirit? Because you know, you are making some really bad decisions and you're letting everybody in the world know about it on social media. And that's not a good idea. <laughs> so again, to say, am I making judgments? No, I'm not. And do I love those people? I absolutely do. And I continue to pour into them. What's that? You're a communist, Terry? You turn that over on yourself. Yeah, probably keep that off. Keep that off group me. <laughs> keep that off group me. That's all right. The, the question is, the question is how, how, what are we looking for in our lives? What are, being, what are we being watchful for? What are we being honest with ourselves about? How can we have a serious, you know, process of thought thinking like what in my life needs to be addressed and, and to have faith and trust and ask the Lord, Lord, tell me to have the boldness 
That's hard, right? When you say, Lord, tell me what needs to be adjusted. Are you sure? <laughs> Never mind. Uh, we'll just, we'll wait a little while. The Lord's faithful to take you through seasons of pruning. Janice probably asked for it and she didn't even know it. She's like, Jesus, I want to be more like you. And he's like, okay, this is what needs to go. Stop it! God is good. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I cannot, cannot imagine what it's like when we get to heaven, because I, I believe God fulfills his word literally. And, and when we get to heaven and Jesus says to the angels and the Father, the Father and his angels, this is my friend, Timothy Warholic from Las Vegas. I mean, please don't do Don't, I don't want anybody. Not me, not me. You're the guy, you're the guy, not me. No, you're the guy. It's all about you, Jesus. You're the one. He says, no, but seriously, you confess my name before man, I will confess your name before the Father. And, and some people might, I've, I've read different things and talked to different people how the rewards that Jesus says he's going to give different churches for being obedient. This isn't really that, this isn't fair. Like people get like a, a rock with a secret name that only him and Jesus know. And this one, you know, gets, they, they get cool stuff. You know, they get crowns and stuff. And, and this one, He's going to confess their name before God the Father and the angels. Do you know how, like, could you imagine how cool that would be, is going to be when, when Jesus confesses your name and says, this is who they are before you. This is your son. And I'm just going to be just too in awe to say anything. I'm just feel, I still feel like a knucklehead even talking about it. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To hear in this context, to hear is to take action. To hear is to respond. It's, to hear is not to listen. To hear is to respond by taking action and doing something. I pray this week, as we go into the week tomorrow being Monday, and we're spending some time with the Lord, we're seeking the Lord, we have heard this word, and that we're doers of the word, and not hearers only. Hearers in the sense that there's no action attached to the hearing. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word tonight and, and, and giving us some insight into this church that was in Sardis and their history and, and um, the warnings, the things that they needed to know about. We pray, Father, that you bless this time of fellowship that we're going to have together. We don't need a closing worship song to worship you, God. And so we do that um, with, our, with, uh, with our lips, with our hearts, and through the fellowship that we have with each other. In Jesus' name.